0: Hello and welcome to Transpleader RPG. We are an all transgender person of color led dark fantasy actual play channel featuring homebrew stories that center non-colonial, anti-orientalist worldbuilding and campaigns about queerness, grief, hope, and the power of love. Godkiller, First Blood, is a 16-part podcast miniseries that follows a mythic, violent, and transformative tale about a single mortal rising against the challenges of the divine. Tonight, your god is me, Connie Chong, and my godkiller is C. Thomas. First Blood is a dark fantasy series that explores themes that may be triggering for some
1: listeners. Content warnings for this episode may include fantasy violence, body horror, gore, blood, classism, Poverty, Religious Imagery, Grief, Trauma, Death of Loved Ones, Betrayal, Fantastical Gun Violence, Childhood Trauma, Abandonment, Mind Control, Manipulation, Loss of Agency, Eye Gore, and Mentions of Human Experimentation and Cannibalism. Episode 11.
0: SMITE Mix Pilindar Heartbloom, Speaker of the Below and Zir Champion, Jiang Shen, make for an interesting duo as they trek through the northern dead zone to cleanse the eyes of the witness on Lady Antigone's behalf. The Speaker is a starved shade of a person with hollow cheeks and limp black hair that falls into pale eyes. Their champion is barely out of girlhood, 20-something and always so angry. The northern dead zone is a series of rocky, oscillating hills, ranging in height from several dozen feet to several thousand. The tallest peak of this dead zone towers high into the clouds. Only the roof of the citadel itself climbs higher. The base of these hills is crumbled and shattered with deep, tall cracks running through the rock like fractures across a bone. Sprouting from these cracks all the way up to the top of these peaks are hardy pines, their gnarled branches bristling with thin needle-like leaves. Given that the cradle is an endless city, the northern dead zone is the closest thing this realm has to a mountain range. Crumbled ruins dot the hillsides, a cluster of settlements here, a collapsed temple there. From a distance, they look like colorful blots from a painter's brush. These ruins were once magnificent, carved from marble and wood, shot through with glimmering veins of onyx. Mist swaddles the entire zone, encasing it in mystery. Even in the decay of this place, there is a lingering sense of divinity. Pilandar climbs a stone ramp hewn into the side of the tallest hill. Z is two thousand feet into the air and counting. Behind them, Shen stops, kicking rocks off the silty path and watching them tumble into the mist. Both are draped in the below's usual somber vestments, black robes lined with silver thread, a pearl-colored sash cinched at the waist. Xiang Shen's axe bounces against her back, though the girl doesn't even seem to notice its weight. Although slender, Shen is stronger than they look. As they climb, the champion addresses her speaker. Her voice is scratchy and terse, like barbed wire. Couldn't she have sent a servant or something? Why do we have to do this? It's just a cleansing ritual. When they respond, the speaker's voice is hollow but firm. It comes out in an authoritative whisper. The others may think the devil's disappearance is a mere inconvenience, But he is not just a carrion-eater, he is the warden of contracts, a responsibility the six typically regard as mere bookkeeping. However, you and I both know that there are prophecies in the below that, if unguarded, could threaten the tenuous balance of life and death in the cradle itself. You didn't answer my question. We could have sent a servant, a competent one, and freed up time to train for the tournament. Or, hell, do our own research into the devil. We've got books in the below. We've got records. Why are you doing this for her, Pilendar? Lady Antigone, as the tongue of truth is the best equipped out of all of us to get to the bottom of the devil's absence. Ensuring her cleansing ritual goes well is the least we can do for her in exchange. At that, Jiang Shen stops following Pillandar. The speaker continues walking for a few more steps, but then turns, sensing her reluctance, and stops and turns as well facing their young champion who has a shocked sullen look on her face i can't believe it shen
1: please
0: Ah, it makes perfect sense because why else would you waste our precious training and research time to climb a god's forsaken mountain say some boring ass prayers and sweep some boring ass graves we will not just be sweeping some boring ass graves. Those are the graves of her family, Shem. Her parents, her aunts, her uncles, her older brothers. This will be the first time in almost a decade that Antigone will not have attended to her family's graves on the anniversary of their deaths. This is the least we can do. Oh, please. Dido is an orphan, and I don't see you white knighting for her at council meetings. Gale was a medical experiment. Even Pontifilios has a dead daughter. Even King Quintus Morius. Okay, he doesn't actually have anything going on. But the point is, this is the cradle, Pilandar. Everyone has a tragic backstory. Why do you care so much about hers? Because she blames herself, Jiangshan. She was just a child. She didn't know any better, but she blames herself. We grew up together in the Citadel. I saw how much the Sing's loved each other. They were, perhaps, the closest thing the Citadel has ever had to a real family. And then, the Witness did what the Witness does. He was paranoid. He is always paranoid, always so suspicious as befits the first god to have slain another. The witness suspected treason amongst his speakers, and so he asked the Singh's youngest daughter for a favor, to peer through her eyes and see behind closed doors. She was young eager to prove herself, eager to prove her devotion. And besides, he was a god. What choice did she have but to worship? And so, the witness watched the Sings through Antigone's eyes and understood what a child could not. His suspicions were confirmed. The Sings were heretics. They were killed on the spot. Antigone alone was spared as the only member of her family not privy to the heresy, and as the person who had illuminated the sacrilege for her god. And at the age of thirteen, she was made Speaker, and she was taken to the top of the Citadel. And the next time I saw her was five years later, when I was finally Speaker to. I knew all that already, Pillandar. This isn't new information. Antigone's family were heretics, she spied on them for the witness, he killed them, big fucking deal. My dad turned out to be a heretic too, and he ran out on me, but you don't see me crying about it.
1: Maybe you
0: should. Excuse me? I know you don't like talking about Tianggu Yin, and I don't remember him very well either. But he was your father. You're allowed to feel complicated about his decision to leave. <gasps> There's nothing complicated about it. He was champion, he made a deal with the judge to leave the below if he executed like 10,000 mortals for him. He did that, but ironically became like a mega huge heretic in the process, and then he left, okay? He left. He left his three-year-old daughter, which, you know, is his prerogative. Honestly, if I were him, I would have made the same choice, because you know why? The below sucks rocks. Who wouldn't choose freedom over living down there? You know, maybe his cell had the right idea after all. Maybe the best way to accomplish our goals as heretics is to put boots on the ground and talk to people, change their minds one person at a time. Maybe our cell could learn a thing or two from his about being heretics. Maybe we shouldn't be stuffing our faces with dusty old tomes and doing boring ass research all the time. We should be out here. On the surface, hunting down the devil, setting up communes, or at the very least, teaching the citadel villages that relying on gods for everything is the least fair thing we could possibly do, and true judgment, true balance, means mortals and gods being on the same level, not one side always doing what the other one says. And maybe there's a good reason he didn't take the kid with him. You know? Maybe the kid would have slowed him down or reminded him of the place he left behind or maybe the kid was just not what he wanted and that's fine. There's nothing complicated about it. Shen, first of all, every cell serves a purpose and claims a legacy. We are the sentinels Yes, yes, the sentinels, I know. We protect the knowledge of the god-killer prophecy. It's not like it could ever happen. I mean, what kind of a god in their right mind would let themselves die so a mortal could kill even more gods? It just doesn't make any sense. Not even the judge would do that. Which is why the devil's absence is so troubling. Because the speaker and the champion of the below, as well as our judge, are not the only ones who know of the prophecy. The devil is the arbiter of sacred oaths. It stands to reason he knows of it as well. Finding him is more important than the six could ever comprehend, but... I digress. You're skilled at avoiding painful subjects, Shen, but not as skilled as I am at pressing them. Oh, great. Okay, fine. Out with it, what is it? You and Antigone have a lot more in common than you think. Both of you have family that's gone now. Both of you blame yourselves for that family's absence in your lives. Both of you fill that hole with your responsibilities. And I wish both of you knew there are people willing to shoulder that burden with you. There is a long stretch of silence. The champion looks at her speaker. The speaker looks at your champion. A chill wind blows across the dead zone, clearing the mists for a fraction of a second, and then Xiang Shen responds. Oh, whatever, I'm not the one who's in love with a 24-year-old nun. Does she even know you have feelings for her? Pilandar sighs, then turns and continues climbing up the ramp. Jiang Shen follows. The speaker and the champion of the below scale the dead zone together passing the many silent ruins and crumbled buildings until they reach its zenith. Here, the mist clears, revealing a temple built into the stony face of the mountain. If it weren't for the fog, the peak of the citadel would be visible from up here several dozen miles to the south. Pilindar turns to face the temple, regarding its threshold with a grim kind of respect. The archway is supported by pillars of weathered stone three stories tall. Above the mantle, an ancient carving depicts a single star with a serpentine dragon-like form coiled around it. A newer carving, not as ancient, etched into the star, depicts a single staring eye. Pillandar and Shen regard the entrance carefully. And then Pilindar steps inside. As soon as the speaker's foot crosses the threshold, the mountain peak begins to tremble. Pebbles litter from the ceiling of the temple's mouth, clattering onto the ground in a cascade of stone and rock. Without hesitation, Jiangshen grabs Pilendar by the wrist and pulls them back. She draws her axe, stands in front of her speaker with steel in her face, and grips the handle of the axe. The trembling mounts and mounts and mounts, threatening to knock the duo off their feet, but they both stand firm. Pilindar with their hand on Jiangshen's shoulder, Jiangshen with their stance planted wide and steady. And then... As the trembling reaches a fever pitch, the star above the threshold begins to glow. It glows a bright, immaculate, dazzling white, and then one by one by one by one inside the temple, upon its roof, etched carvings of stars also light up in a blazing line like stepping stones upon a path. At this point, the trembling fades. But the glowing of the stars persists, almost as though they were beckoning, Pilindar and Jiangshen deeper within the temple, away from the shrine at the back of the hall, and toward what appears to be a solid stone wall. At the entrance, Pilindar and Jiangshen exchange a look. And without saying a word, the speaker carefully crosses the threshold once more, gingerly putting their foot down. And when a trembling doesn't continue, their champion follows a loyal half-step behind, her axe drawn. As they approach that seemingly plain and solid wall, we see that it is now framed by a constellation of glowing stars that was certainly not there before. And now we pull away from the depths of this temple and focus upon that single star above the threshold. And though the star itself glows, the eye etched into its middle does not. Unbeknownst to Pilindar and Xiang Shen, this tremor began the exact moment that Rune Ironsworn hit the bottom of Iron 42 and awakened their divinity for the first time. Two weeks later, in the Council Hall of the Citadel. Under the dusky glow of the star, King Quintus Morius commands the champions of the cradle to kill the God Killer. Rune, you stand on top of the council table, your boots planted upon the marble, gazing down at the six speakers and their six champions. Every single weapon in this room is drawn, and you hear King Quintus Morius bellow, KILL THEM! No!
1: What do you do? Rune fights like hell. And when I turn to violence against someone who slanders or mocks my pain, I awaken my divinity. Ah! Okay,
0: (laughs) that is accurate. (laughs) What does it look like as you begin to fight like hell against these people who have clearly mocked and slandered
1: your pain? What a question that is. There is a brief moment right before Rune turns back to look at King Quintus Morius after speaking to Antigone, where the shadow on the wall that falls behind them from the irradiated light of the star is 60 feet tall. (gasps) And Rune fights like the devil. They fight with hellfire. Both of their long knives are drawn and they strike instantly as the entire room, I imagine, erupts into violence. Yep, 100%. So, Lady
0: Piamit, this red haired, muscular woman, the champion of coin, has drawn, raised, and is now throwing her javelin, one of many in the quiver at her back, with unerring accuracy straight at your heart. And at the exact same time, Sir Brellis, this long limbed, priest like champion, and Sir Sloane Iscariot, the champion of swords, leap onto the table, kind of triangulating you and a staff collapses open Umbrellas' hand as he swings it violently towards your torso, while Sloane whips her sword towards your neck on the other side. Also at the same time, Zur Demos, the blue-haired pronouns person, opens fire on you, the muzzle of their like semi-automatic machine gun flashing. So something else before you use that move. At the exact same time as King Morius had spoken, so had Antigone because as he shouted for all these champions to kill you, Antigone had shouted, Ruin! And there was such a naked, desperate concern in her voice, Rune. Concern you have never heard her express and certainly not toward you. And as though commanded because she was, Eos leaps onto the table and slashes her great sword down. I think without you needing to make a move, she cuts the javelin out of midair, and with that same downstroke, deflects Sir Brelis's staff. But Antigone isn't the only other speaker in this room to issue their own command. At the same time as Antigone and King Quintus Morius, Pilandar Heartbloom had also shouted, Shen! And Jiang Shen axe drawn growls in this resigned anger and rune she looks so badly like she wants to join the violence against you but instead she leaps onto the table and uses the head of her axe as like a metallic shield to block the spray of bullets from Xur gun which leaves only Sir Sloan scariot's longsword unparried. Would you like
1: to inflict violence? Yes I would. This is so sexy by the way I'm going to be running like 10
0: NPCs, (laughs) eight of whom are like in direct combat with you. I'm so excited. Let's see how this game holds up. (laughs) So when you inflict violence on someone, roll 2d6. Add one for each true statement. They wish you harm. Yes? Yes. Are you desperate?
1: No. No. Really? Am I supposed to be? Maybe we'll get you there. You're not desperate. I'm not desperate. I don't feel desperate. I feel violent. I feel violent desire. Uh. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Then Rune isn't desperate right now, so I would say it's personal, though. It is personal. So that's a plus two. Roll for A. Let's go, baby. Ten. Overkill. Yep.
0: On a ten plus, you lose yourself to righteous fury. The GM will tell you the costs of your divinity. Why don't you just tell me what it looks like as you unleash
1: violence? Oh, boy. As both Aeos and Shen leap up onto the table, Rune is already rushing forward to meet Sir Sloan Iscariot's blade. Like there is something in them that has sparked and ignited this knowledge that they were brought in here like a lamb to slaughter. Not by Antigone, not even by Aeos, but by the very fabric of gods that rule this place, had already deemed them dead the second they walked through the door. And now Rune fights like a ghost. They fight like an angry, bitter, vicious, violent ghost. All of that rage punching upward and out of their body as they meet Sir Sloan Iscariot like a truck, like a bull, like a rushing waterfall of force that cannot possibly be stopped as they bring both of their long knives up to hers. So Sir Sloan Iscariot is the perfect sword. I
0: hate her. She is a master of the craft. She is the best swordsperson the Cradle has ever known, who has ever wielded a blade in mortal hands. She fights with technical precision, with 100% mechanical efficiency, not a single movement wasted, not a single parry gone to the wind. Every single blow that you deal, she is able to meet with her sword. Every maneuver has already been accounted for in her head and played out in advance. She fights like a chess master. Mm. And you are the god killer. So you smash into her perfect defense and you absolutely shatter it. There's a moment where her eyes, those dead eyes widen for a fraction of a second, and she is forced immediately on the defensive. Like, there's no way for her to seize any kind of opening. You're just smashing, 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 smashing down at her. That's what that 10 plus, that's what that overkill looks like, I think. And maybe Mm. even unbeknownst to you, your eye is bleeding. It has been bleeding this whole time. It is pouring black ichor down your face, bleeding into your collar, eking down onto your collarbone.
1: Yeah, and I think this drive This desire to take her chessboard and not just throw it off the table, but break every single individual piece, every single chess piece, for Rune to take it in their hand and crush it, destroy it, absolutely obliterated, Like they have been obliterated by the swords, by King Quintus Morius, by his fucked up trade agreements, by his fucked up greed. Every single day, every minute of their life that had been stolen by Athemos for him, for the emperor and the empress, it all just explodes out of ruin. And I think that they are leaving themselves completely open and just focusing on beating this woman into the ground. I think so. You
0: basically do it with a 10+. plus. She is unable to, like, get any kind of advantage against you. She's just completely on the back foot. I think you basically press her to the very edge of the table. It's taking every ounce of precision and focus and concentration for her to parry, and so none of your blows coming from your flashing knives are death blows because that's what they are. I don't think you know this. I don't think you've ever fought to kill before, but no. that's what this rush of violent intention means. If you score even a single blow against her, you will probably kill her. Uh- and I think the champion of swords knows that. So she's parry parry parry, bing ding ding ding, sparks flying, right back foot back foot back foot. And then she's at the very edge of the table. There's nowhere else for her to go. And I think you're able to see a crack in her defense, a final sliver in her armor that like you I know kick if her you off slip the table. past? Yep. You raise your foot, you kick her off the table with such force that she's wearing like a leather padded steel breastplate, but mm-hmm. I think we hear a crack anyway as you kick her and she flies off the table and she hits a pillar and the pillar cracks and this is like a normal ass mortal woman right she's a really strong fighter and she has presumably been blessed by the emperor and the empress in some way but she is still a mortal person she slumps there her head hits the back of the pillar her chin then hits her collarbone right and her sword like goes slack in her hand with a 10 plus she yeah she doesn't move I think we see some blood beginning to pool at the edge of her temple and trickle down her, that side of her head and she doesn't move. At this moment, King Morius's eyes have gone wide as through the eyes of Dido Elefax, Pontifilios, Professor Nightingale. And Dido gasps. She is genuinely shocked. She's looking with these wide emerald eyes between Antigone and Pilindar, Eos and Xiang Shen, and now transfixed between you and the champion of swords. While this duel was happening between you and Sloan, sparks have been flying, bullets have been ricocheting, steel has been clanging from Xiang Shen and Eos against the other remaining champions as well. and as his champion hits the pillar and doesn't move anymore king quintus morius screams at the top of his lungs treason treason from the above treason from the below oh, oh, antigone i knew being a rat was written in your blood but pilandar oh my boy pilandar you disappoint champions Kill not just the God Killer! Kill them all! Kill the above! Kill the below! NOW! And that is when Pilindar shouts God Killer, run! Because of your 10 plus, I'm gonna hit you with something else. Jesus! You feel a sharp, stabbing pain in your side. You look down, and you see Lady Piamit Ajax with her short sword driven into the side of your body all the way to its hilt. She has stabbed upward, I think, into your flank, and your blood is dripping down her fingers, which are clasped around the grip of her sword, and down her leather bracers. And her eyes are wide and furious, and there is a snarl on her face, and her red hair, I think, is plastered against the side of her temples with sweat. And she says to you, Rune, you are misled, as I was. It is not too late for you to still die, a noble death. She wrenches the short sword out, and there's a gout of blood that splurts from it. But even though it hurts Rune, the pain almost feels kind of far away. There's something about your divinity that is shielding you from the full agony of being in a mortal body. Sir Piamid Ajax whips the blood down, and it just splats against the marble floor. And she says, still looking at you with that burning gaze, if the rumors are true, then you killed the god I once served. My loyalty does not lie with the chariot anymore, but there is a part of me that knows she was not supposed to perish by mortal hands. What you are is no heretic. You are no mortal, you are no god. You are an abomination, and I, Lady Piamat
1: Ajax, will slay you where you stand. I'm sorry, was she a fucking cannibal? Hello? What kind of move do I need to do to
0: figure that out? <laughs> you can try to figure someone or something out as a mortal move. You can try to recognize a god uh, as a divine move.
1: Ooh.
0: I want to recognize a god. Okay. When you want to recognize the signs or influence of a god of the cradle, roll 2d6. So what's interesting about Lady PM at Ajax? is that she claims to have once served the chariot, but now she serves the Wheel of Fortune. Mm. So I'm just gonna flag that. So add one for each true statement, you're in or near their domain. I would say yes. Mm -hmm. I would say the Citadel is the Six's domain, so all of them would apply. You're familiar with their gospel. You're familiar with the chariots now. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give that to you. It'd be bad if he didn't know. I don't know if it would be. Okay. I think this is more of a curiosity, a desire to know more as opposed to like, because the chariot's dead, mm, but the wheel of fortune. Well, <laughs> the wheel of fortune. You know what? I'll give. I'll, I'll do a plus one for that too. That's a plus three.
1: Oh boy, my favorite thing to do is overkill on this move. Nine.
0: I did oh, it. Jesus, you did. You did it. Oh my god! From a six to a nine. On a hit, you competently interpret the omens. Ask your GM a single question of your choosing, and they must answer honestly. Was she a cannibal? Yes. Oh, my fucking God. Yes, she was. And I think as she says that to you, you hear Dido Ellenfax, her speaker, call out, Ajax, enough. Just look at Sir Iscariot. This is not, we cannot. Ajax. Miss Ellenfax, it is my duty, my privilege, my honor, and my right. Now as a champion of the Citadel. And she raises and points her blade back up at you to cut down monstrosities where they
1: stand. Rune has staggered slightly, their hand going to that open wound in their flank. How much strain do I take from that, by the way? One. Oh, why did you say it like that?
0: (laughs) I don't like that (laughs) you said it like that. You're in angry god mode right now. Oh. That blow would have been fatal. You know what? Here's here's some flavor I'll give you. That blow would have been fatal to any normal person. They would have like staggered around for a few moments, fell onto the ground and then bled out to death. You're mm. still standing and you haven't done anything to staunch it. The blood just kind of like, it spurts a few more times and then it just stops on its own.
1: Mm-hmm. Rune is holding that open wound. Zir fingers red with their own blood at this point and they wobble for half a moment, but then stand firm looking at her as the puzzle pieces start to click together. Oh. Oh. Oh, let me tell you something about being a monster. Lady Piemet Ajax. Enrune leans down and grabs where one of their long knives had fallen when she stabbed them, picks it up, the sound of the chain scraping against the marble table as they do so, as they take both of their blades up again, Let me tell you something about being a monster. You, cannibal, only know violence from one direction. You only know devotion all the way in. Neck deep, right? You can only devote yourself to a god who would kill and eat others, and you can only devote yourself to a woman who would do the same. She just has prettier hair. (laughs) Wow, incandescent rage
0: flashes across Piemet's face. She, like, tightens her grip around that short sword, your blood glistening on her fingers, and she roars and surges upward at you. Let's exchange blows. Well? Huh? Throwing herself forward is Miss Dido Ellenfax. Hello? Yep. What the fuck? Yep. She grabs onto, like, a council chair that was between you and her. And you see her emerald eyes flash. Like, this green blaze of light just sparks out, like, viridescent lightning. And then they repelled down her arms and hit the chair. And the material of the chair transmutes alchemically before your eyes. It like tessellates upward from like a wooden chair to like a tall wooden shield. And Dido from behind this shield just turns to her champion and says, Ajax, this is not worth it. Whatever is happening here is not worth it. The sword is felled. We live to fight another day. And she's grabbing onto her champion and trying to pull her away from you. As that happens, you hear Pilindar shout again Heretic, I said, time to run! And you feel someone grab onto your arm. It's Eos. With her other arm, she cuts down and Serbrellis uh, takes a couple of steps back and we see that staff in his hand collapse into two pieces as Eos has just like snapped it in half like a twig, right? And the blow of it
1: sent him like stumbling backward. Eos grabs onto your arm and says, we have to go now. Perhaps it is frightening looking into Rune's eyes for that second before their vision starts to clarify. They blink a few times and that righteous anger falls away a little bit as run, run, run starts to become the rhythm of their heartbeat instead of fight, 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 make them pay. A phrase that they are quite familiar with at this point. And after having lost themselves to righteous fury, Rune gives Aeos a tiny terse nod, says under their breath, thanks for taking care of freak Jesus. Let's get the fuck out of here. Where's my car? Your car is probably one of the many garages that-
0: (laughs) Oh no, you fucking don't. Eat bullets, bitch! <laughs> and there's a ch- ch- as Zerdamos levels the gun that they were able to reload. They point it at you. We see Jiang Shen try to like fling herself forward and like block it with the blunt end of her axe again. But this time Zerdeus sees the champion of the blow coming. She twirls around, slips past a gap in Jiang Shen's armor, levels the gun at you, and pulls the trigger. the <laughs> fuck? And bullets. Ch- 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 in a zigzag line, they spray against the marble countertop, pursuing you like a snake slithering through the grass. And if you're gonna try to like not get hit by these bullets, I'm gonna need you to tempt fate.
1: That's great, Connie. Um, where's the nearest window? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the god killer's
1: go-to move,
0: defenestration. Um, let's say it's like 50 or 60 feet
1: away and it's a huge, beautiful stained glass window. <laughs> Rune pushes against Ao so hard that it probably shoves her backward and they sprint for the window. Okay, I'm gonna need you to tempt fate, my dude. So when you tempt fate
0: with your actions, say what perilous feat you're trying to accomplish and roll 2d6. I assume not get hit by the bullets, jump out the window and land on like a balcony below or something?
1: I would like to get as far as jump out the window without getting bulleted.
0: Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so add one for each true statement. A skilled ally is lending you a hand. Yes, mm. Eos is there. So is Xiang Shen. This is maybe the first time you've ever gotten to, t- to add that to tipped fate. <laughs> uh, you have no other options. Not really. Yeah, you don't have to jump out this window right now. That's true. You're far from any god that wishes you harm. Not true. That's a plus one. Go for it. Oh boy. Uh, five. Yikes. On a miss, the face laugh in your face. The GM will describe how your plan implodes. Okay, you book it toward that stained glass window. That looks like freedom to you. That looks like an escape route. That looks like the way out, right? And it gets closer and closer and closer. The stained glass figures get bigger and bigger. And like the pop pops from the gun start to fade, right? As we're getting closer and closer. And then, out of fucking nowhere, on the same side that Ajax had stabbed you, Sir Sloan Iscariot fucking oh my God. lying back tackles you onto the ground. This 40, 50 year old woman just bam hits you like a battering ram. She tackles you, and the two of you go rolling like ass over tea kettle, like choo, 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 over the marble floor. And then we hear like the empty click click as another magazine is emptied uh, from Zerdamos, and they let on a ah, shit. as they, like, try to, like, reload. But now you're on the ground. Sir Sloan Iscariot is on top of you. Her face is drenched in her own blood from where her head had cracked against the pillar. But there is something in her eyes that is even deader than usual. They are completely flat. She almost is, like, I guess like a zombie looking down at you. There's none of that, like, shock or that, like, half second of fear that had flashed into her eyes when when you were uh, dueling her earlier but she's pinning you down
1: now with all her force. Oh, oh, I've had an idea. As rune's head cracks against the floor, as they get tackled, I think without meaning to, Z looks up into Sir Sloan Iscariot's face and I would like to wield a power. Mm. I would like to use the power that I stole from Athemos, the unsighing toil. Okay. I would like to peer into her life, into her essence, into her existence. Oh my God. So like how Athabos could see how much time he had left and like get a sense of your vitality. You want to do the same to her? hmm To get a sense of her life, how many years she has left. And I think it just slams into Rune the information, the power without them even meaning to as she tackles them to the ground.
0: Okay, so add one for each true statement. You've done this specific act before perfectly? No. No. You're desperate for this to work?
1: No, I think it's
0: automatic at this point. Okay, you're close to a shrine, lair, or domain of the god you took this power from. No, that's gonna be no. a flat 2d6. Oh
1: boy, come on dice. Aha! Seven. Oh my God, what the hell? On a
0: hit you do it. So as you peer into her eyes, a sense of vertigo comes over you, like you're going into her soul, like you're for like half a second, you travel into her mindscape, and you see flashing images of a childhood, like you're going through a flip book,
1: just
0: fluttering past, but you internalize and comprehend every split-second scene as though you live the entire day, right? You see a childhood, you see an adolescence, you see an adulthood. And then you see the moment that Sir Sloan Iscariot becomes champion. And something strange happens. A ripping sensation trembling its way up through the banks of the river as you see her life torn from her in one swift, violent moment. As King Quintus Morius locks eyes with her during her coronation as champion, You feel him using his power gifted upon him by the emperor and the empress. The decree. When he sustains eye contact with any other mortal, King Morius is able to issue any command and bend the very fabric of their souls to his will. And you feel it now. A gash laid upon Sloane, clear as the light of day, ripping and pulsating through that screaming, acrid bank of that river. And you also hear the memory of King Quintus Morius's voice uttering, Thou shalt obey my every command. Thou shalt fight in the haloed light of perfection as do the emperor and the empress. Thou shalt serve as my champion and act only under my will. And Rune, as you're tapping into Sloane's vitality, you realize that Sir Iscariot is actually a woman that's been literally mind-controlled for the last 20, 30 years, ever since she became champion. Holy fuck. That's why her eyes are so dead, that's why even after she sustained an injury of banging her head against that pillar that would have knocked out a normal mortal, she was able Mm. to like pick herself back up and lob herself at you. You figure that this commandment forces her to protect King Quintus Morius and act as the perfect sword even when her physical faculties fail her.
1: Holy shit. This realization crashes into Rune like a thunderbolt as their eyes are locked with Sir Sloan Iscariot's on the floor, looking up at her, both of them bleeding out of their temples now. And I think we can see in Sir Sloan Iscariot's eyes, a little bit of that inky black darkness starting to fill up one of her pupils as they're staring into Mm. each other's eyes so intensely. And Rune tapped into her vitality now. I have a deeply feral idea. I have a deeply feral idea. God. Athamos could eat years he ate life force he ate vitality what would happen if i tried to specifically eat that year of her life could i break the curse (gasps) oh my god could i break the gash if i ate the year that it happened i would roll to violate a curse if you wanted me to you know what you did score a hit on this move
0: we will be violating a curse tonight it is not your curse it is someone else's So this is a crucible move. I'm going to let it happen. Ah! When you violate the terms of a curse, await disaster and answer one. What shatters beyond repair? What mutates beyond recognition? What shifts beyond your reach? The GM will answer one other, describing how the curse surges forward to claim its due. And when all is said and done, erase the curse from your sheet, you are freed. Technically, this would apply to her. Would you like to pursue this rune?
1: Yes. I think that as rune makes this realization, they have no other choice. They can see that flat deadness behind her eyes. They can see her memories. They can see her life, which had been so entirely stolen from her by a man. And I think that rage rockets back into them just the way it did in Iron 42 when they faced down Athemos for the first time. The greed of the gods knows no fucking bounds.
0: And what does it look like when you break the curse?
1: I blind her. (gasps) What? If King Quintus Morius uses his powers by looking into the eyes of mortals, if she can't see him, then he cannot command her anymore. That's true.
0: Oh my God. So you slash your knives up once quickly across her face. Yeah. Okay, without getting too gory or detailed about it, uh, I think there's just a flash of steel as like that one eye of hers is bleeding a similar blood to yours. Uh, There's a shout, a cry. She flinches backward off of you and she drops her longsword and her hands fleet up to her gaze and like covers her eyes, which are now bleeding, bleeding, bleeding down, right? She's like covering this place of gore that you've slashed open. And I need you to
1: await disaster and answer one of the three. I would like to answer what shatters beyond repair. And I think it is the knowledge of the sacred bond that a champion and a speaker share with one another. When this gets out into the stories, into the lore, into the gossip of the cradle, this idea that there is some kind of divine bond between a speaker and a champion will be irrevocably broken. There's no possible way that hearing something like this, even as a rumor, could possibly stand. That's true.
0: Up until this point, the relationship between Speaker and Champion has always been regarded as sacred. Almost as sacred as the relationship between mortals and the gods they tithe to. But after this moment, as you sever that curse, you have crossed a bridge that cannot be uncrossed. You have fucked something that can't be unfucked, Rune. And Sloane rolls off of you, staggers to her feet, right? Like pawing at her eyes, her fingers becoming bloodied with her own gore. And I'm gonna answer now, What shifts beyond your reach? What shifts beyond both your reach, King Morius's reach, and the reach of the six right here in this council hall, which is Sir Sloane Iscariot's agency. Mm, For the past 20, 30 years of her life, she has been a woman possessed. She has been a woman controlled, just forced to obey a magical Gesh. And now, as she stops gasping in pain and her quivering kind of comes to a standstill, right, her eye, her hands are still cupping her eyes. We hear a kind of mewling, confused, uncertain voice coming from behind a pillar where King Morius is cowering. Sloane, Sir Iscariot, Sir Iscariot, I, I command you, Sir Iscariot, I command you, pick up your sword. And slowly, calmly almost, yeah. Sir Sloan lowers her bloodied hands from her face and she lowers her hand down to the sword that's dropped on the ground without even fumbling for it. Like she knows perfectly where it should be. She picks it up and she raises it before she turns back to face her speaker. Without looking in your direction, you know she's addressing you out loud. And these are the first words Sloane speaks of her own will for the past 30 years. Oh my God. Which pillar which pillar god killer is the speaker of swords hiding behind there are six pillars in the room each assigned in a different direction
1: which one north cardinal direction of the swords her fingers tighten over
0: the grip of her sword and without another word, this now blinded champion turns perfectly due north and starts striding slowly, calmly, but with clear murderous intent toward where you see King Quintus Morius huddling behind that pillar. With every step the champion takes toward her speaker, you see him like shrink a little bit more. That heavy crown starting to slip in front of his eyes. Sir sort of Scaryad. Sir Iscariot, I command you, yield! Sir... <laughs> Sir Iscariot, I command you, yield! Sloan. Sloan! Sloan! Sloane! And King Quintus Morius turns and starts running as Sloan, now like within strides of him, approaches, raises that sword and starts to bring it down. It smashes into the ground, I think between his legs, as he yelps and leaps backward, falling onto his ass, and he starts scrambling backward on his hands and knees, right? And Sir Sloan Iscariot lifts the sword up again and starts bringing it down once more, once more, once more, right? Like she
1: is, she's gonna kill him no questions asked, she is going to kill her speaker. You know what? Good for her. I think she's right. <laughs> Rune watches for half a second, pulling themselves up to standing, before they pivot and let her take whatever kind of revenge she needs to take. Mm-hmm. And they are surveying the room, looking toward the door, looking for Antigone and Aeos. So what you see now
0: is Zer Demos and Xiang Shen in the middle of like a pitched duel. Mm -hmm. Zer Demos is out of ammunition. You see the gun on the ground, and they're using their bare hands and brawling against Xiang Shen. And hiding behind another pillar, we see Professor Nightingale. Their sketchbook is still out, they are drawing something furiously. They're glancing occasionally between the fight, back down at their page, between the fight, back down at their page. And as they're fighting, god, Shen seems like she's about to take the upper hand. Even though she's, like, barely older than a teenager. She's powered by rage, adrenaline, and hormones. And she's going, god, oh, you just let go of my axe. And Zerdamos is like, ha! Oh, a little girl like you doesn't get to wield a real champion's weapon. Gail. Any minute now! And Professor Nightingale does one final flourish of the piece of charcoal they were holding and they say, Heads up! And they reach into their book. You see their fingers approach the page and then they sink in. And they pull out like a 3D drawing of a handgun.
1: And then they throw the gun over at Zerdamos. I'm absolutely gonna try to hit that shit out of midair. Like, (laughs) Rune's long knife is whistling through the air before they even understand exactly what kind of fucked up magic has just happened. Sounds like you're acting impulsively. Yeah, I am. What's the emotion that drives you? Protectiveness of an ally. Hmm. There is absolutely no way they are going to let, oh my God, Xiang's child (laughs) get hurt defending them. Mm. And that odd, deeply strange realization hits Rune like a ton of bricks. Okay. So uh, when you act impulsively, describe that emotion that
0: drives you and answer one. I will tell you something you didn't notice until now as I answer the other. So which
1: of these two questions would you like to answer? What advantage do you seize or what trouble hits you hard and fast? I'm going to take that advantage and knock that gun out of midair so that it does not reach Zir deimos. Okay. What does it look like? Rune's long knife whistles through the air like its own kind of bullet. And with unerring precision, it bisects the once-drawn, now-come-to-life gun, and it pierces through it completely. Ooh.
0: Yeah, the knife whistles through the air and spears that gun, right? Mm -hmm. And you swear you see flakes of charcoal fly off, and then the gun hits the ground and turns into a pile of ash. Hmm. G- Gale, Gale, the, the god, give me another one. And Gale's eyes go wide by the pillar. They like gawp at you. Like, well, you, uh, you weren't supposed to do that. You weren't supposed to kill me either. I'm not trying to kill
1: you. What's my champion? There's a big difference. Rune cocks their head and starts stalking toward Professor Nightingale. Whoa! Oh, whoa!
0: Davos, Davos. Zerg Davos just lets out a and lets go of Xiang Shen, who's like one final shove toward the girl, turns around and starts like charging at you, right? To intercept themselves between themselves and their speaker and you. Yeah, I'm going to turn to face her. Okay, uh, that's the trouble that you are about. <laughs> Zerdevos, they are unarmed, but they are heavily tattooed and built like a rugby player. They are bull rushing you, right? Uh, they don't seem to have the tools to be able to kill you instantly like they used to. They just seem to be trying to like take you out of commission as they
1: barrel toward you. What do you do? Rune stalking toward Professor Nightingale was kind of just a fun little intimidation tactic, like, ooh, run chicken, run, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and they intend fully on turning toward Xirdemos. And I think now, without that cloud of fury and violence, knowing that some kind of divine retribution has hit, at the very least, King Quintus Morius today, There is something alive and almost exaggerated in the way that Rune turns to meet her. Like their whole body sways and their fingers tighten around the ends of their long knives and they just prepare. They're ready to go toe to toe with her.
0: Mm. comes at you. And if it had just been you and them, no doubt you would have been able to cut them down or dodge their blow or anything else. But I think what you weren't anticipating, which is also part of the trouble that hits you hard and fast, is Freak Jesus. Long-limbed Not Freak, freak Jesus. Jesus. Sir Brellis from behind. You Not feel Sir too from behind. Shrunk- oh, no! 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 Not like that! okay anyway you feel two sharp stabs in your back as the sharpened broken off wooden <laughs> points of his staff drive into your back and like force you forward as Zerdemos tackles you at the same time ouch You're sent crashing to the ground in just a cascade of limbs, staves, knives, screaming, shouting, tattooed, blue haired people, and freak priests, right? The three of you, I think, hit the ground and go rolling a ball of limbs. And that's when, charging out of nowhere, Eos, Tackles Sir Brellis out of the scrum and like hits the ground with him, right? So it's kind of just you and Zerdamos. And out of the corner of your eye, you see Jiang Shen running toward the two of you with the intention of like grabbing Zerdamos and ripping them off. In the meantime, before she gets there, Zerdamos is like trying to punch you out. Like they're trying to punch your head and just knock you out through sheer force. And they're saying, What the fuck kind of freak are
1: you with each punch? They have two sticks poking out of their back. Yep. Even so, in this animal, desperate, violent way, the way that real fights get, the way that real fights are not as polished as the way that Sir Sloan Iscariot fights, the way that this is pure mortal brutality, Rune grabs onto Xur hand and they start biting her arm. Just straight up, (laughs) they just start biting her arm.
0: Oh my God. Yeah, they shout, God, you fucking... Stop! You're gonna give me fucking rabies! You fucking and she's like shaking her arm and trying to press. You got rabies into the mic. now. Ah! She's like punching, trying to dislodge your teeth, punching your face, trying to gouge out your eyes. It's ugly. It's just two of you on the ground, just blood going everywhere, fluid, saliva, spit flying. And that's when Jiang Shen reaches demos, grabs them by the shoulders, and rips them off of you. At the same time, you hear Ao say, "Oh, you have to be fucking kidding me." She has pinned Cerberus to the ground. She's like maybe choking him out on the ground so she's a little preoccupied. (laughs) (laughs) She's Yeah, like a WWE wrestling move. She's looking up and her eyes are staring at the corner where Dido and Ajax had run off to. Maybe you'd assume that they'd fled, not so. While they've been in the corner regrouping, you see Dido has used whatever transmutation power the Wheel of Fortune has given her to transmute Ajax's javelins so they're topped with explosives. No. And there is like a cannibalistic glint you recognize from the chariot chase in Ajax's eyes as she draws a javelin top with like a blinking, beeping bomb and starts aiming it at you, at the cluster of the above and the below treasonous snakes and heretics fighting against the Citadel champions. And that's when Antigone... Oh my god. You realize she's been shouting this whole time. She's been shouting this whole time. You have not heard her. That's Finally, no, not at all. when her voice cuts through the fray, you see her and Pilindar by, like, the main council doors. They have been flung open, and the two speakers are standing at the threshold, and Tigni goes, Ruin!
1: Enough! Come on! Ruin does so much math so fast. <laughs> they see explosives coming at them. And for a half second, Rune looks like Z is about to go for the window again. There is some mental calculation about if the explosion comes for them and they're out the window. Will it catch anyone else in its radius before a twinge of pain shoots down their spine? And they remember that there are two ends of some fucked up wooden vampire stake sticking out of their back. (laughs) And they reach behind them, pull them out. Uh, and they lob both of them at Ajax, who is coming at them with an explosive, before they pivot and shout, let's get the fuck out of here. So I'm
0: going to need you to just mark one more strain, just from the ambient strain of fighting since the last time you brawled with Sir Slonis Garriott. Yes, you rip the two ends of sir brellis's staff out of your back and you throw them at Piamet. she was holding the explosive javelin uses her short sword to cut the two pieces of wood out of the air just bats them out of the way like they're annoying flies you see professor nightingale on their hands and knees not drawing on the journal anymore but drawing on the ground and they're drawing a huge fucking gun they're almost done and you just know that the moment the lines connect, it's gonna come popping out of the ground, and Zer is gonna shout, Eat bullets, bitch! again, and shoot you with this huge fucking gun. So you just know that's gonna fucking happen. <laughs> yeah. As you, like, you turn around and you book it through that open council door, Eos grabs the back of Sir Brellis's head, like a, p- a fistful of hair, and just bam, 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 one, two, three, punches his head into the ground to knock him out with it, right? By like the third slam to the ground, this priest guy is completely out of commission. So she gets up and turns and also starts running through the door with you. And Jiang Shen, I think, kind of kicks at Zerdamos, who like releases themselves from that little tussle the two of them were doing as Zerdemos runs toward the gun being drawn on the ground. And Jiang Shen goes, that's right, bitch. Who's the bitch now? Bitch,
1: bitch, bitch. Rune and, like, grabs her around the waist and starts dragging her behind them. Okay, come on now, I have a few questions for you. Questions for me? Questions
0: for me? You're not gonna be the one asking questions of me. I'm gonna be the one asking questions of you, you big,
1: ugly, soot-covered little cave rat. Okay, well, thank you so very fucking much for that, but we both need to be alive for that to happen, so if you could kindly come this way. Yeah, speaking of which, you're fucking welcome. You're fucking welcome. I saved your goddamn fucking life. Uh, I think that this they've point. gotten to the door, <laughs> yep,
0: yeah. Yep. You've reached the door, right? And without another word, Eos, I think- I love her. <laughs> grabs you and Dianxian and like shoves the two of you past the threshold. And she also turns and slams the door shut behind the five of you as you're retreating back down that hallway toward the dais. As soon as the door slam, you hear a spray of bullets hit it, mm-hmm. right? But these are like thick, sturdy oak and marble doors. They don't get through yet, right? And Eos turns and goes, Lady Antigone, are you all right? Now all of you are sprinting toward that teleportation dais at the end of the hallway, right? These huge golden pools of light spearing themselves through the stained glass windows on the western side of this hallway. Yeah,
1: Rune leaves a trail of blood behind in the gold.
0: Oh, yeah. It's like just splat, splat, splat. Yeah, exactly. Yura booking it. Antigone, she almost looks (laughs) dissociated. Like this isn't real. Like she's sleepwalking like this can't be happening. And Aeos is going, Lady Antigone. Lady Antigone, please talk. Are you okay? Are you injured? Uh, uh, No, Eos, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, wait, wait. And she stops running. In the middle of the
1: hallway, Antigone stops running. Rune, I imagine is probably closest to her besides Eos and they're faster than Eos is. So they pivot off of one foot, immediately go back for her, grab her by the waist and go, can't stop now, princess, talk on the way. They pick her up and they start running. You physically pick her up? Yes, I throw her over my shoulder. (laughs) Okay, you pick her up by
0: the waist, throw her over your shoulder, Eos? It looks like she wants to kill you. That's... Oh, uh, she cut for a half second. When <laughs> she, doesn't she? <laughs> she looks like Lady Piamit for like a half second, but then like, you know, there's no time to stop and argue like all five of you are running and Antigone is kind of kicking and thrashing on your shoulder. She's going, don't wait, I stop, just unhand me. I can run, okay? I can run on my own. As she starts to clasp her hands together to pray, Pillandar puts their hands on her wrists and gently but firmly presses her hands down. Antigone... We can't go to the Above's Quarters. What? What, no, no, I have to tell the witness everything has gone to hell, Pillandar, but the witness, he'll understand, he, he, he will have a, a plan, he'll know what to do. He, he, I have all this information for him that I wasn't able to tell of you because all of you then started attacking us and, and, and. Antigone, breathe. I'm
1: taking us to the Below's Quarters. It's much safer there. All right, hey, buddy, you're gonna have to tell me exactly what the fuck is going on. As Pilandar walks, they speak.
0: Antigone, I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but please just wait until I am done with the story to ask questions. I am a heretic. Oh, Byung shit! Shen is a heretic. What the- wait, hold on. What the fuck? You also need to wait until the end to ask questions, godkiller.
1: That was not a question. You're a her- but I- I don't- Pill, what what are you talking about? Score one for me. Rune looks at Eos.
0: Eos does not does not <laughs> respond in kind. Just it gives you like a dead-eyed, like very furious stare. Pillandar goes on to say, We're not just your run of the mill every day, boots on ground, heretic. Rude. We are the sentinels. We are the keepers of knowledge and fear theory. What you do in your cells, creating communes, arming the people, showing other mortals that there is an alternate way to live, not under the yoke of divinity, is worthy, but, disconnected from a greater culture and bastion of knowledge, it will die, evaporating as though beads of mist under sunlight. We preserve the mist.
1: Rin's mouth twitches with a small frown. Could have preserved it a little bit more clearly. Besides, what are you doing exactly as a speaker and champion and a heretic?
0: It is a long, time-honored tradition for the speaker and champion of the below to be heretical. It is only fair.
1: The judge is aware. The... the judge... The judge? Judgment? Judgment to the judge. Yes, the judge has deemed
0: it just, but dangerous. And you had heard
1: that phrase used exactly before by the devil. Yeah, Rune pulls back as though Pilandar had just slapped them. And I think there is an open, naked look of shock on their face for half a moment. As all of this is starting to become and feel real. We watch... The prison that must never be
0: unlocked. We guard the darkness. We keep the prophecy safe. The prophecy? What What prophecy? What prophecy? The God-killer prophecy. It is a sacred secret, a desperate oath that has been passed down from speaker to speaker of the below, champion to champion. Its knowledge, its contents, must forever be guarded. Jiang, our former champion, my current champion's father, knew of this as well. He took knowledge of the secret with him when he finished his pact with the judge and left. At this point, Jiang Shen turns to look up at you, Rune. Are you fucking kidding me? Shen? This... This guy, this shitty little rat guy is the reason why my dad left us, left me? Are you fucking kidding me? The instant you walked into that chamber, I knew what you were. I knew who you were. The instant Eureka's little vulture told us about what happened on the bridge. Well, Pill and I knew that that the prophecy was, that the godkiller was, that it was happening. And the only way that the godkiller could have been happening is Is because of my dad. Because of the secret he took from the below. So you must have known him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I knew him.
0: A brief, tense silence as all of you run, Jiang is staring up at you with burning eyes. So at this point, your party definitely has reached the teleportation dais, and you're able to put Antigone down. Antigone... While I was upholding my end of the bargain, cleansing the eyes of the witness while you went to search for the devil, I, I saw something in the Northern Dead Zone, something that this heretic's presence now confirms. What, what, what did you see? What, what are you talking about? It's too dangerous to say here. The witness has eyes everywhere. And we all know that the witness doesn't have ears, except in the Citadel. The northern dead zone. That's where we have to go. Can I get my car? Oh, (laughs) if I lose it, Ratchet will kill me. We can take your car to get there if it is reliable. She's reliable. Good. There is a path to the vehicular holding chamber from the
1: below. Vehicular holding chamber. What the fuck does that even mean? That's a garage. And I think it's at that point that they start to feel the gaping wounds in their back and in their side. And for a moment, they kind of wobble there, like suddenly unsteady on their feet, suddenly aware of exactly how much blood they've lost. As you wobble,
0: Eos' eyes kind of like narrow and her brow tightens. Heretic, you've lost a lot of blood, Lady Antigone. And Antigone just goes, I, I, wait, uh, Pilindar, Ruin is hurt. We can patch you up in the car. Okay, okay. Uh, but Antigone looks at you again with a kind of naked concern in her face that she's never displayed before and
1: certainly not at you. And does that making any feel? Rune puts out a brave face, the same kind of brave face that any one of the heretics would have put on for them when they were younger, if one of them got hurt on mission. Rune puts on that same brave face and goes, come on princess, Let's go. I'm fine. Promise.
0: During this exchange between you and Antigone, Pilandar has been preparing to activate the dais. You can hear the council doors down the hall, banging and crashing against where Eos had smartly locked them behind your party, but you know the wood and the marble won't hold out much longer. And as Pil raises their hands to their mouth to prepare the teleportation spell, you catch them looking at you over Antigone's shoulder as Antigone kind of fawns over your injuries in this moment. Rune looks askance. I. Okay, but just don't pass out
1: on me, okay? I. We just got my robes clean from all the blood rain, and I, I don't need your blood on it again. Rune's eyes flick down for half a second and notice that they have, in fact, already gotten more of their blood on her clothes from when they <laughs> threw her over their <laughs> shoulder. What? Nothing. I'm fine. We can keep going. As magic from
0: the dais and Pilandar starts to tense and pulse in the air, Eos's face, dark and drawn, turns in your direction, Rune, as she's mulling all of this over, all of these revelations, all of this violence. Maybe there really is more to being heretics than I thought.
1: Four out of five, Antigone, we just need one more, and then we'll be a whole fun little party. You you say that in jest, right,
0: looking back at Antigone, but as she meets your gaze, there's something really hard and hollow in her eyes when you say that. And her next words don't even sound like exasperated or like her usual Antigone annoyance at you, but they sound like genuinely fierce. I don't care. How many other speakers and champions end up actually being heretics? I am not, I have never been, and I never will be a heretic."
1: Rune blinks in surprise, and I think as they do, one more bead of black blood rolls down their cheek from their eye that is still pouring blood. Right. And Pilindar clasps their fingers in
0: front of their mouth and begins to pray quickly. The sigils start to light up. Bing, 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 bing. And you see, just as, like, the light crests up in a big column, the doors at the uh, end of the hallway have been flung open. And just, like, a sea of champions are chasing you, holding weapons, like, running you down. We see, like, that explosive javelin arc through the air. And boom, you're gone right before the javelin hits. And What greets you? is a massive, opulent, beautiful atrium that spirals up, 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 with these incredible ivory-draped staircases lining the interior walls like a lighthouse. Just going up, 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 as far as the eye can see with no roof or ceiling in sight. Just beautiful, hanging, floating chandeliers glowing all different kinds of iridescent colors. At the threshold, the five of you, I think, freeze and stare at this, Hilandar goes uh i this isn't and antigone breathes out where where are we what is this a is this another one of your tricks is this another one of your revelations and your no no this isn't and that's when the doors slam shut behind the five of you. I think they even actually scoop the rest of you that were still kind of lingering in this like holding area. They scoop you forward and then bam, slam shot. As the five of you are now locked inside the tower. We're so dead. God Killer First Blood is performed by Connie Chong and C. Thomas. Follow Connie on Twitter and TikTok at BuyConnieChang, and C on Twitter at CPlaysRPG. To play your very own campaign of Godkiller and support our show, pre-order Godkiller First Blood Edition on itch.io today. Transplaner RPG is made possible by your Patreon contributions and sponsors who believe in our mission to tell great stories and lift up our community. Sponsors like ExplainTrade.com. Explain Trade is a negotiation skills consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines on Twitter, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon, because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy giving all his money to trans and queer art, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you Dimitri, and heed his words! Sign up for our Patreon today at patreon.com slash First Blood is also sponsored by Start Playing Games, the largest online platform for players to find tabletop role playing campaigns of your very own. Join a table that fits your schedule today at StartPlaying.Games. We are also sponsored by Magpie Games, the independent TTRPG publisher behind such incredible works as Masks A New Generation, Avatar Legends, Urban Shadows, Bluebeard's Bride, and much, much more. Check out their amazing selection of Powered by the Apocalypse games at magpiegames.com. Finally, we're proud to be sponsored by Roll. Roll is an online RPG platform that serves as a video-first alternative to complex virtual tabletops. Build, modify, and play your very own games of Godkiller on Roll today at PlayRoll.com.